Okay, so tell me, how much longer do you want to buy into this crap? Really? How much longer do you want to be bullshitted? I'm sorry to be blunt about it, but how much longer do you want to be bullshitted? You were told when this thing first broke, and this thing, of course, is COVID that I speak of, that it was going to be a pandemic, that it was going to be Armageddon, it was like the Black Plague, it was like the Spanish flu. It hasn't been any of those things. The Spanish flu killed on orders of magnitude far greater numbers of people. And this is the problem. The problem is that most people in this country are not educated in terms of the numbers of people that have perished from bona fide pandemics and plagues in the past. So any numbers that are quoted to them now, they automatically accept as horrific. But most people don't even know that 56 million Americans every year get the seasonal flu. About that many people have received the COVID virus. So if the COVID virus is so rampantly uh, infectious, how come 3 million fewer people over a two-year period have been infected by it uh, than the same number of people who typically get the seasonal flu in a one-year period? No one has an answer for that. The answer is, it isn't as infectious as they would have you believe. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another episode of The Jamie Dury Show. If you have not already done so, please subscribe to the show. You can do so one of three easy ways. Go to the iTunes App Store, the Google Play Store, or download the Podbean app from either of those two stores, and search out The Jamie Dury Show. You can subscribe directly via iTunes podcast app, directly via Google Podcasts, or as I said, if you download the Podbean app in either of those two places, you can subscribe that way. Either way, you won't miss a thing. You'll be notified every time there's a new episode, and you can leave comments and reviews, and we desperately need both. The more we get of those, the more favorable they are, the faster the show will grow, and the more offerings we will be able to provide you with. So let's begin by giving some historical uh, perspective to all of this. Now, let's not even compare this COVID-19 virus to the real plague of the ages, which was the bubonic plague, which had several waves, the Black Death. Um, The Black Death dwarfs the Spanish flu in terms of the number of cases that took place. The Spanish flu killed a much lower percentage of the world's population than the Black Death, which lasted for many, many years. But put the Black Death aside. That was in... A very, very primitive time in Earth's history. Medical science was not where it is today or even what it was in the beginning of the 19th century. But let's take a look at the Spanish flu. The Spanish flu had several waves, but it essentially ran from 1918 until 1920. Now, the population of the world at that time was 1.8 billion people. To put that in perspective, the current population of the world is 7.75 billion people. Now, despite that, the Spanish flu infected 33% of the world's population, or 500 million people. Now, if that were to happen today, we would have to have something on the order of over 2 billion people infected 
We have not had that. We have had nowhere near that. And we certainly have nowhere near the deaths. Now, the deaths from the Spanish flu were over 100 million. And as I said, total cases were over 500 million. Now, juxtapose that to coronavirus cases. Again, those numbers I just gave you were in a world that had only 1.8 billion people living on it. Okay. Now we have a planet with seven and three quarter billion people living on it. We've had 295,549,540 coronavirus cases since this thing began. That's a little more than 66% of the total number of cases that they had in 1919, but with a population that is more than three times as large. The total deaths from these 295 million cases are 5,473,509. Now, if that sounds like a rather small number compared to the 100 million that I just quoted, it is. It's a very small number. It's a 1.4% mortality rate. Now, I'm sure it's not small and insignificant to anyone who counts among that 5 million and change a loved one, a friend, a distant relative, an acquaintance that perished as a result of that. But I'm sorry to say that death is an everyday occurrence in the world. It never takes a holiday. People die every day. People die of the regular seasonal flu every day. And the fact of the matter remains that the vast majority of the 5,473,000 unfortunate people who have perished as a result of COVID-19 are people who were either in advanced years or in otherwise compromised states of health. But fear not, the government comes to the rescue. Now, everybody was harping on President Trump last year when this thing broke. Even though he tried to keep people out of the country so that they couldn't bring the infection into the country, he was called draconian, he was called a racist, he was called a xenophobe. And then after that, people said he should have closed the border sooner. Still, using his business savvy, he gave incentives to the pharmaceutical companies, made contingency comment, uh, contracts with three separate companies so he'd have a ready supply from the first company that developed a vaccine that worked to try and attenuate this problem. Throughout this drama, closures, certain governors with illusions or delusions of grandeur like Il Duce, the former governor of New York State, hawking this and hawking that and portraying himself as some type of genius. We're going to see just how much of a genius he was or wasn't in short order. He never got any credit, President Trump did, at least not from the media. But it's interesting to note that the people who ran against him, the Kamala Harris's, who now support things like New York City giving priority to minorities for the vaccine. Tell me how that would fly if you decided tomorrow you were going to have an ad campaign that says we're going to give priority to white people for the vaccine. See if that would go over very well. I think not. But they seem to be very comfortable in saying, we're going to prioritize black people. Well, one of the reasons why 
people of minority extraction are not vaccinated in the same percentages that people who are white are is because you have idiots like Kamala Harris, a prominent African-American woman in this country who's vice president, telling people during the campaign and beyond, don't take the vaccine if it was developed by Trump. I wouldn't trust it. Well, Trump didn't develop it. He just allowed it to be developed by freeing the pharmaceutical companies from many of the constraints that they were operating under before. No new vaccines have really come out. And it's interesting to note now that they're in power, they meaning Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, they not only are pro-vaccine, they want to mandate that you get the damn vaccine. It's the same vaccine they said was no good that Trump developed. Why is it suddenly good? So these people were geniuses. They have a handle on it now. Now we have vaccines and we have phony Fauci out there saying how effective they are. But there's an old Jewish saying, figures don't lie, but liars figure. So let me give you some other figures. From January 2020 until January 4th, 2022. Now I'm going to confine this now to the United States. I don't want to go all over the world. We can, but we're all living in the United States. My show is marked, marketed primarily to people in the United States and people who are similarly situated, like my compatriots in Australia, who are also resisting governmental tyranny down there. Since January of 2020 to January 4th of this year, a two-year period, essentially, there have been 57 million 38,728 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the United States. 385,000 of those occurred in 2020 when President Trump was president. The balance, which is far more than half, have occurred since President Trump has been president. Now, President Trump didn't have access to the vaccines for much of his presidency. These people have the advantage of additional knowledge with the passage of time and the vaccines, and they haven't seemed to be able to manage this crisis even remotely as well as President Trump has. They failed at everything, yet they still keep hawking the virus, the virus, the virus, because they don't want you to see how much they failed in other areas, like skyrocketing energy costs by killing the Keystone Pipeline, crime through the roof, inflation through the roof, a porous border, bringing in more people with more COVID. It's a complete cluster. You know what? I'm not going to say it here on the show. But of these 57 million cases, we've had 829,963 deaths. That's a mortality rate of 1.4%. Now, to show you the madness of these vaccine mandates, I'm going to show you some comparisons in states. Before we get to that, though, they've been throwing these mandates down your throat, ramming them down your throat. They want to mandate this. They want to mandate that. New York City now mandates that even five-year-olds have to be vaccinated or they can't eat inside in a restaurant in New York City. It's getting out of control. Well, it seems to me, though, that if these mandates really work, that if these vaccine mandates really work because the vaccines really work, there should be a sharp contrast in the number of infections and the mortality rates from state to state, because we all know these rebellious red states who want freedom, uh, they're playing with people's lives. So let's take a comparison of two of the most 
diametrically opposed states in the union in terms of freedom and regulation. New York State, one of the most regulated. Florida, the champion of freedom under Governor DeSantis. During this same period, January 2020 to January 4th, 2022, New York State has had 3,736,399 cases of COVID, resulting in 59,865 deaths for a mortality rate of 1.6%. That is two-tenths of a percent above the national average. Now, Florida because we have more people now moving to Florida, during the same period, has had 4,360,178 cases, resulting in 62,541 deaths for a 1.4% death rate. So despite of all the regulation, in spite of all the regulation and the curbing of freedoms in New York State and lockdowns and all the other follies they engaged in. New York State has a mortality rate two-tenths of a percent higher than Florida, where freedom rings. So you tell me where the proof is that these vaccines work. And now we're getting additional information, information which is rather sobering. It was interesting to note yesterday when the markets opened up after the uh, New Year's holiday that two stocks that weren't up were Pfizer and Moderna because people are beginning to say to themselves, well, we thought vaccination meant that we weren't going to get it. And then after they bullshitted you into getting the vaccine, they finally gave their new definition of vaccine. Well, vaccine doesn't necessarily mean you won't get it. Anything that helps you recover from it or get a less severe case, gives you a parcel protection, so that's considered a vaccine. Well, I guess if we had known that, we would have all, after having gotten vaccinated, gone out and gotten it so we'd have natural immunity acquired in a safe manner with this great protection from the vaccine. And now we find out the vaccine has a limited shelf life in our bodies. That's why we need these boosters. But are boosters really the answer? Because here's a new study. A Danish study of nearly 12,000 households. They've just discovered that Omicron spreads faster than even the Delta variant among those who are fully vaccinated and even higher between those who have received booster shots, demonstrating strong evidence of the variant's immune evasiveness. The Omicron variant was found to evade the immunity of vaccinated individuals at a much faster pace compared to Delta and at a higher rate than the unvaccinated. Let me read that again. The Omicron variant was found to evade the immunity of vaccinated individuals at a much faster pace compared to Delta and at a higher rate than the unvaccinated. So it sounds almost like if you're vaccinated you're even more at risk of getting this Omicron. This, according to a study, excuse me, I'm going to get a little bit of a sniffles myself, because I have reason to believe that I may have had COVID. I'm going to get to that in a second and tell you why I think this is all bullshit. This study that I just quoted was conducted by researchers at the University of Copenhagen 
in Denmark. Quote, comparing households infected with the Omicron to Delta VOC, we found a 1.17 times higher SAR for unvaccinated, 2.61 times higher for fully vaccinated, and 3.66 times higher for booster vaccinated individuals, demonstrating strong evidence of immune evasiveness of the Omicron variant of COVID, said the preprint of the study. SAR refers to secondary attack rate. So, so much for vaccines, so much for booster shots. Now, I just found out that my wife and son both have COVID. Now, I was feeling a little under the weather last week. No fever, no loss of taste or smell. I had been feeling like that uh, back in mid-December. I explained that on a previous podcast, but I got through it. I did uh, a couple of events that I had to do as part of one of my other businesses. Got through it and felt a lot better. That time when I was sick back in December, I was, you know, not myself for about a week. I was able to, you know, do what I had to do. I was able to go to work and do things, but um, I was feeling a little sluggish. This time, I really only felt really bad for a day. And I do what I usually do when I ever get, I get the flu, which is very rarely. I never get the flu shot. I sleep for a day. My body recovers when I sleep. Yesterday, I felt a lot better, and today I feel pretty much myself, except for a little bit of a cold. So I'm willing to bet that whatever my wife and my son have is what I've had. So we all had the COVID. It's probably this Omicron variant. So it's really nothing to be afraid of. Apparently, as these viruses, as many viruses do, they mutate, they become more infectious, they become more evasive but they also become less deadly and less potent. And that's what seems to be the case here. There seems to be no way around it. Now, notwithstanding that my son probably got COVID from me, I get an email today from his school telling me that he was exposed to COVID in the class. So if he hadn't gotten it from me, he probably would have gotten it there. It's everywhere. And it's about time people start realizing that you can't avoid it. This Omicron variant is just so contagious. It's everywhere. The mask is not going to protect you. The vaccines can't protect you, as I've just read to you. So just suck it up and face the fact that you're going to have to get a cold. Because if we want to stop the world every time somebody has a sniffle, we're going to be stopping permanently. We will get through this. This is nowhere near what the Spanish flu was. It's certainly nowhere near what the Black Plague was. This is a minor, minor issue compared to those things. I'm not minimizing the deaths of those who have lost their lives to this. But you have to remember that in addition to the stark comparison I gave you in terms of how far less lethal this is compared to the Spanish flu, There's something else driving these numbers that wasn't an issue back in 1918. 
you didn't have government subsidies. Back then, the numbers were more real. Here, in 2020 and 2021, when we have the Democratic Party in the United States playing Santa Claus, wanting to give everything to everyone with no concern of who's going to pay for it, numbers get fudged. There was a lot of federal aid going around the last two years for any state that had COVID deaths. The more COVID deaths you had, the more federal aid you got. And as I've said here many times on this show, death numbers are being fudged. My favorite example is Calvary Hospital in the Bronx, which is a place where people go to die when they have a terminal disease. These people are absolute angels. They specialize in end-of-life care, making terminal patients as comfortable as possible. Usually it's cancer patients, but it could be any uh, terminal illness. So your aunt, your uncle, your father, your mother, your grandparent goes to Calvary with stage four cancer of the liver or the lung or the pancreas, and they perish after a few weeks there. Their remains are tested for COVID. And if they come up positive for COVID, they list their cause of death as COVID. But we know they didn't die of COVID. They died with COVID. They died from cancer. So even these 829,000 deaths in the U.S. are not the real figure. You can shave off probably a good 50 or 60 or more, maybe 100,000 of those deaths and attribute them to something else. So this thing is far less lethal than we originally thought, or should say that you were originally led to believe. And yet we have such a contradiction The liberals are the one that want everyone vaccinated. So isn't it funny how one of the most liberal unions that supports the Democratic Party, they don't want the vaccine mandates. They want everything to hold off. They want people to take a step back. They don't want to see all this. I'm talking about the teachers union. Teachers union doesn't want to see any of these things. They want to see everything delayed. de Blasio wanted the teachers to be vaccinated. He threatened to fire them. At last count, there were about 7,800 unvaccinated teachers who were supposed to be fired. Yet the same teachers union, these same teachers, were all in favor of having the children vaccinated so that they could be safe without themselves having to risk anything by taking the vaccine. Let me tell you something. I think... And I I hate to say it as a former union person, but I think the teachers union in the city of New York, teachers union at large in this country, but particularly in the city of New York and big cities like Chicago, are among the most contemptible unions that have ever existed. These people are ultimate hypocrites. They're pieces of crap. They cry and they moan when people lost pay for not going to work because they were being prevented from going to work because they were unvaccinated. And they decried the fact that the firemen and the police officers are going to get their money back. The firemen and the cops were never unwilling to work. These teachers, in large part, have been unwilling to work. Even when learning went back to in-person in the city of New York, what most people didn't know 
is that in person simply meant that the children were in school. Many of them went to classrooms only to find that their teacher was home, teaching them from a video monitor. They had another teacher or another staff person in the room to provide adult supervision for the children while they were there, but that person wasn't teaching. The teacher was at home. What gall to sit home on your ass sipping cappuccino while the kids have to schlep back and forth to school. Now, you want to complain that you're not treated in negotiations the way first responders are, like police and firefighters who put their line, put their lives on the line for people every day? What are you putting on the line? You're a public servant. You signed on to teach. Your boss tells you you have to teach. And your answer is, no, I want to sit home and do it from a monitor. Well, one thing may be certain. It's almost impossible to fire a New York City teacher. They've got programs where teachers who have been deemed unfit, they sit in a lounge all day, collect a check, and not allowed to teach anyone. Well, if they're not allowed to teach anyone because they're so incompetent, why are the taxpayers of the city of New York paying their salaries? Why aren't they fired? So good luck trying to fire them with COVID. I don't know. Maybe COVID's the magic bullet. Maybe you can armor public opinion against them. But one thing I do know, if your boss orders you to work and you don't go, you've effectively gone on strike. And the mayor of the city of New York can invoke the Taylor Law, which was designed to prevent strikes by public sector unions, anytime he wants unilaterally. Not only is there great sanction for the unions, financially, there's also a financial sanction on any striking member, to the extent that they can fine them two days' pay for every day they're out. Now, New York City and the city of Chicago, they're threatening to go on strike. They're threatening those mayors, they're threatening those citizens, they're threatening those parents. They're not going to teach their children. And those parents who rely on their kids being in school will have no alternative. How are they supposed to go to work? Well, I have the answer. Because if I were Eric Adams, the new mayor of New York City, I would relish this opportunity to set the tone for my administration. Because every mayor that's a first-term mayor Every senator that's a first-term mayor, every president that's a first-term president all wants the same thing, a second term. So if you plan on being mayor for eight years, you can cause yourself a lot less grief down the road if you set the tone right away, just like Ronald Reagan did with the air traffic controllers. I'd be having conferences with every specialist online learning company there is. Because I can tell you that when my son was learning remotely last year, when everybody was scrambling to figure out how to do this. The online learning program that the Department of Education of New York City put together was garbage. I don't think the kids learned anything. I think it was worthless. Go to someone who specializes in it. Make a deal. Issue an executive order. Declare an emergency. Issue a sole source contract on executive authority to provide remote learning for every student in New York City. Once you have that in hand, you now go to this piece of garbage, Mike Mulgrew, the head of the union in New York City, and you tell him, listen here, chief, you don't get back to work in 48 hours, you're all going to be fined under the Taylor Law. Two days pay for every day you're out. No exceptions. You're not getting your money back. You can kick and scream and go to court all you want. I invoke the Taylor Law. I determine it. 
my sole authority. You're not getting the money back. Very simple. And I would take that money that I'd be saving by not paying the teachers. I would use that money to pay for the remote learning. And if I had to, I'd have the uniform security police in the schools, maybe a couple of management if they don't want to go along with the union, supervise the kids so the kids could physically go to school so they wouldn't have to do a remote learning from home because the city of New York was BSing, bullshitting people into thinking the kids were back in school while the teachers were sitting home. They can do the same thing. Have the kids go to school so the parents can go to work. Kids can get lunches in school, be provided for, and they get a better learning experience than they're getting from the DOE. You do that. Bring the teachers union to its knees. And you see how quickly the other labor unions would fall in line. You'd have a very, very easy eight years in office, Mr. Adams, if you only had the intestinal fortitude to do what's right. We didn't know for years later the reverberations of what Ronald Reagan did with the air traffic controllers in the Soviet Union, how much they stood up and took notice of that stance he took. It set the tone. You're a new mayor. You can either languish in agony and despair, fighting these unions and fighting these idiots for eight years, or you can be a leader. The choice is yours. Quite frankly, I don't hold out too much hope with Eric Adams. He's already looking to put a retired chief who left in disgrace because hundreds of thousands of dollars were mysteriously deposited into his bank account, and he became a potential target of an FBI probe into corruption. We're talking about former chief of department, Philip Banks. And now he's an advisor of Eric Adams. So I look at who you surround yourself with, and I get a pretty good idea of where you're coming from. But if you're within the earshot of my voice, you hear what I just said, you'd be well advised to look into what I've just said, because it could be a recipe for salvation. It could be a way to get reelected fairly easily. Now, there's a few other things I wanted to speak about. But before I do, I want to implore you once again, please give us a review. Give us a five-star review. Make some comments. Subscribe. Share our link with friends of yours. Get them to subscribe. That's how we're going to grow this show. And that's how we're going to be able to offer you more. Now, if you're a regular listener to this show, I venture to say you're a pretty conservative person. And as a conservative person, looking at the world with your eyes wide open, it should be readily apparent to you that the current occupant of the White House has no bloody idea where the hell he is. I think half the time he doesn't know what his name is. He's certainly incompetent. And a plurality of the American public now believes that he is mentally unfit to serve as commander-in-chief that he does have dementia. So the question becomes, who is running the country? They want you to believe that this man who never left his basement, never made an appearance, had to go to sleep at 9 o'clock in the morning so he could be up at night for a debate thinking it was 9 a.m. because he sunsets with his dementia, actually beat one of the most vigorous, accessible, and indefatigable campaigners that's ever existed, Donald Trump. I'm not buying it. Most people don't buy it. 
But every social media platform that has now become an arm of the Democratic Party decides arbitrarily that if you disagree with them, you're spreading misinformation. And it's under their guise of misinformation policies that they now stifle free speech. When 80 million people believe something, it's hardly a fringe viewpoint. Basically half of the voting public. So just look at who the players are. So I've decided to pick on one person. Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary. She's the face of the administration, right, most of the time? Who is Jen Psaki? Well, lo and behold, Jen Psaki began her career back in 2001, working for Iowa Democrats Tom Harkin and Tom Vilsack for senator and governor, respectively. Then she became the deputy press secretary for John Kerry's failed 2004 presidential campaign. From 2005 to 2006, she served as communications director to U.S. Representative Joseph Crowley and regional press secretary for the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. Throughout Obama's presidency, or throughout the 2008 campaign of Obama, she served as his traveling press secretary. After he won... Obama took her to the White House as the deputy press secretary. And she was then promoted to deputy communications director back in December of 2009. In September of 2011, she left this position to become senior vice president and managing director at the Washington, D.C. office of public relations firm Global Strategy Group. In 2012, she returned as the press secretary for Obama's 2012 re-election campaign. 2013, she became spokesperson for the United States Department of State. And they said that some people speculated that she would replace Jay Carney when he left the White House. But she didn't. In 2015, she returned to the White House as communications director and stayed through the end of the Obama administration. And then, 2017, she began working as a political commentator, where all of the retreads and people who are unable to earn a living in any bona fide manner go, CNN, the news network that nobody listens to. In November of 2020, she left CNN. Why? Because she wanted to join the Biden-Harris transition team, and now she's the White House press secretary. So a woman who spent eight years with Obama is now the White House press secretary for Biden and Harris. Nobody that Biden used, no press secretary from his vice presidential office, all former Obama people. Who do you think is running the country? That's right, my friends. You're living in the third term of Barrio. The Muslim. Just when you don't think it can get any stranger, it does just that. For the Jamie Dury Show, I'm Jamie Dury. <laughs>